0: What's going on, Rip City? Wherever you may be, this is the Blazers Edge podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, on iTunes, pretty much everywhere you need for your podcast needs. As always, I'm Dan Morang, contributor to Blazers Edge, and the site guru, managing editor, Grand Poobah, Dave Deckard. We are back again. Dave, after a short absence and a okay road trip, we're back. What say you?
1: grand poobah i'm having flashbacks i feel like we should have a prediction that the blazers will make the playoffs but that may be a little tougher right now than it was even in the summer of 2015. the Blazers just came off a road trip. They finished it well in Boston, obviously, with a win. As I suggested in my recap, it wasn't a convincing win, but it sure was a welcome one. But before that, it seemed to get depressing and super. I mean, not even Dr. Phil could fix what's going on here. What is your impression of what is going on with the Blazers right now as we stand on basically January 24th? 2017
0: you know when portland left to go on the road trip I, I sat in in the studio for the blazers flagship station with with travis DeMers and, and chad doing and they asked me about this road trip and they said how do you think they're gonna go to i said probably not gonna win a game and that raised a few eyebrows they said not even philly i go well philly's got a mvp caliber player who is playing in an otherworldly level and i think the fact that you can't say that the Blazers are favored on the road against Philly kind of lets you know where the Blazers stood when they left they had just brutally disappointing losses to start the road trip to go 0 two and you're hoping and hoping and hoping that they can salvage something here and maybe rescue a win in Philly because that game in Boston sure is not gonna happen well it goes down to the wire in Philly in a game that probably shouldn't have but it did and through some weird circumstances, you give Mason Plumlee taking the last shot, and they come up a point short. Then you get to Boston, and in a game that you think, there's no way. Back-to-back in Boston uh, against what we assume is a team that's playing better, and they pull it out. Hey, you, there's, that right there, the, that group of games just kind of sums up the Blazers' season. Not necessarily the record, but what this team has been all about, it was so so them. It just didn't make any sense. And it wasn't pretty in the sense that it was a wire-to-wire win, but they were in the game and they pulled out the win. You had brilliant performances from C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, and Myers Leonard. Just phenomenal. And it got a lot of people talking again. And over the last couple days, I, I keep hearing that key phrase, have the Blazers turn the corner.
1: Ah, you didn't read my recap, did you? <laughs> oh, god. Yeah. How many, first of all, how many times have you asked that this season? Not you, but we, you know, and second of all, what corner corner to what? At what point do, are they going to run off 38 wins in a row? Is this I 500 mean,
0: street? Five <laughs> Hundred Yeah. To the
1: I mean, you may, at this point, I'm not denying, by the way, that they could turn a corner. I mean, that they definitely can play better. I've said, and everyone who's asked me, you know, is the, are the Blazers going to stink all year? What the heck is going on? I've said, look, they're not that far behind last year's pace. They're sinking farther behind it. But, you know, it's they, still imaginable that they could get to 40-plus wins. They could turn the corner in that sense. But you turn the corner and the street is not looking that much better. No, I mean, we, we
0: talked about this before. The eighth seed in the playoffs right now is projected anywhere between 33 and 35 wins. That's, I mean, that's not something that you're sitting there pumping your fist about heading into the season. So, yeah, which way is this Portland team going? They've got a five-game homestand. And if you want to do a comparison between this year and last year, it was this time period and almost this exact spot in the schedule where they started to reel off wins. And in fact, they had that prolonged break that a lot of local beat reporters talked about in the Blazers being able to get after it in practice. And this is where they kind of, they, they they forged it, a defensive bond, if you will, on that side of the floor. And, and that's what kind of ignited their run. Well, they've got three days off. They've got a winnable game, which It's kind of crazy to think, but it's a team in the Lakers that's playing very badly. They just had their worst loss in franchise history to the Dallas Mavericks, another team that's right there in the thick of things in the West, which is crazy to think considering where they were to start the season. So... Yeah, where's the corner? What corner? Where's it taking you? I mean, this is this is like the first iteration of MapQuest when it updated like every five minutes instead of every five seconds when you need it to. I mean, what, did they miss the turn? Did they, are they on the right path? So
1: they, they, it's difficult. Yeah, if the Blazers can't beat the Lakers... This is I mean, that's that's got to be just as demoralizing. You're right back in the swamp then they 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 should win this and see. But this is the issue. Let's say they do win it. Okay, good. You felt good about the win in Boston. You felt good about the win in L.A. How many wins does it take to erase for instance, that road trip, it takes it's going to take at least three more in a row just to get you back 500. After the Lakers comes Memphis, and after Memphis comes Golden State. I mean, and, and then you Charlotte, Dallas, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Boston again, Atlanta. A lot of those are home games, but those aren't guaranteed wins. And then you go out for another four-game road trip. So uh, really, to get the season back on track, I mean, eight wins in a row wouldn't be a miss, and uh, that's they're going to have a hard time. I mean, eight wins right now in a row would get them back to 500. Does anybody think the Blazers can beat the Lakers, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, Charlotte, Dallas, Oklahoma City, Dallas again, and then Boston again? I believe that would get them back to eight. Nope, they have to beat Atlanta, too. So is there any possibility they could do that and even get back to 500 right away, then start fresh in mid-February and make a significant push? that's asking an awful lot.
0: Yeah, I mean you're asking for that perfect storm again, heading yeah, into that's the All-Star. More
1: break. Than a perfect storm. I mean, uh, flawless like a 52 carat flawless diamond of the rest of the 52. season. Just to get well, hey, you know, <laughs> if if you want the girl, you gotta you gotta spring for the thing, Dad. You gotta learn this so, if, we, if you we, ever you, want to if you ever want to tie the knot. I mean, you start at fifty two and then go down to forty eight.
0: Uh, you say fifty two though, and flashes of Greg Oden's jersey goes through my head, man.
1: I associate oh. these numbers in a way that <laughs> well, just. And, and and you know, I may be making a commentary on marriage too, but that's <laughs> it's not that kind of show. So uh, let's see that alone. So one of the significant things that happened. Well, first of all, let's ask this too. Anything on the road trip besides the lineup change, we've got that, but anything on the road trip that stood out that we haven't seen before. For me, the one thing that that I think is hanging out there right now is that the Blazers are having some distinctively better rebounding games uh, where they're fighting harder and they're starting to control the glass for certain stretches, if not the whole game. They're they're having a hard time putting a whole game together. But I've seen some better effort from the Blazers on the boards and a little better getting back in transition in some cases. And when they do even those two things, they tend to succeed. And that, I think, those were both both kind of non-factors or bad factors in the first half of the season here. So maybe there's some hope there for me that if they shore that up, they can start turning this toward the right direction. Have you seen anything different recently that, analytically?
0: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head in, in that those those little things like rebounding, the grand scheme of things, as long as you're securing rebounds as a team, it doesn't matter who's getting them. Uh, transition defense, and I think that feeds more into the, the effort narrative that's kind of been there and waned back and forth. <laughs> it's not rocket science see, for anyone to look at this team. It's just that there's been some things that have been amiss, and a lot of them have been effort-related, and they translate out on the court as such. In every one of these games, even in the bad, bad games where you saw in against Orlando and you saw against Washington, where there was effort just wasn't there there were also times when the effort was there and you could see it kind of come together for a few minutes and that's kind of been the story of the year in the game against philly even though they lost it you could see there was a little bit of dog in them and i think that was emblematic of a team that kind of carried that that torch through the end of last year and it appeared again in boston and i don't know if it's so much hashtag they as it is a pride factor. And I think a little bit of that is shown through. And then that. that's less analytics and more just kind of eye test, but I had to go back and, and crunch on the numbers to, to, really take a look at the big picture. But I've kind of stepped away from that a little bit over the last couple of weeks, just because I wanted to take a broader picture of what exactly is going on and the little things as they, as you kind of highlighted them and how they translate to the team. And, and I mean, obviously the, the the big stuff is the lineup change. I mean, if yeah, we would have yeah. talked about that, <laughs> I mean, right. if we had suggested a lineup change going into this season, the the the, it's crazy. the torches it's especially- and pitchforks would have been out
1: especially this lineup change, but let's say before we close that, it's not hashtag they anymore. It's hashtag we. It's hashtag put a body on someone and move mm-hmm. your feet. I mean, and the Blazers need to realize that if they do a couple of those little things, their offense is really powerful and they're going to come up with some W's, but if they don't, it all goes to waste. Now let's go to that lineup change uh, that you talked about. It happened in Philly, did not result in a win. Uh, didn't didn't even necessarily result in that good of an output uh evan turner and noah vonley uh become the, in essence the starting forwards uh in philly turner shoots two for ten gets four points vonley's four for six with ten points which looks a little better but you still wonder if if those 14 points could have been equaled by the regular starting forwards or if you got 15 you win the game in any case it looked better somewhat in in Boston certainly Turner did he had a I thought really good game coming back to his old stomping grounds 12 points and 4 of 9 shooting wasn't spectacular but at least he was decent uh Noah Vonleh again had had decent stats considering his 17 minutes but fell out of the game defensively what do you think of this lineup change uh, do you think it's permanent do you think it was effective
0: I don't think it's going to end up being permanent unless things go a little bit sideways down the stretch. And even then, I think the lineup would change even further, but I think we'll talk about that a little bit later with Vaughn. I think you're getting a guy who he started last year and he had his place basically taken out from under him, but he never really, I I don't want to say he didn't earn it, but I don't think he really ever earned it. And now that he's giving that opportunity again, he's bringing energy. He had six offensive rebounds on his own in the first quarter against Philadelphia. He yeah. brought it. He went after it. He went hard. And I think that kind of attitude kind of feeds to the, the points that you were making about the extra aggressiveness on, on the backboards. And I, I think that's a good thing. And I, I think that Stotts is coming in, coming at that from, I'm going to get a guy who's going to give it for me every single minute that he's out there. And I think Aminu was doing it. I think Harkless was doing that. But I don't think it was infectious. And I think the way that Vaughnley was going about it and going after everything was infectious. Now, Evan Turner is a weird one to me in putting him in the starting lineup because the way you have to stagger the lineup going forward made for some interesting lineups. You, you saw Leonard and Aminu out there with Damian and CJ at times, which we haven't seen much of this season. Um, so you've got a kind of a weird amalgamation of parts that, uh, that hadn't always been out there and at times were spectacular and at times, like in the Philadelphia game, were really bad. Um, I think in the long run, it'll be more effective for these different units because they have more experience and actual game time together. And for Portland, I think it's a better idea to start doing these kinds of things now because, number one, you don't have the time. Number two, you're still a very, very young team, and building upon this and seeing what you have in certain guys is going to do more for you in the long run than any amount of wins are going to do for you in the short term.
1: Well, here's I, here's what I kind of worry about. I, I, I agree with you that I think the effort was better, and it's really funny how that came from a twin perspective, because I think you're right that Vonley is kind of young and – just is playing to the basics does it I don't want to say doesn't know better because he does know better uh, we've seen him played both ways really but he, he knows that this is something that almost anybody could do and it's gonna get him minutes so he appeared to be doing it hey I'm young I, I I saw the floor and and here I go watch me I get to play and whereas Evan Turner I think is is standing right now in a spot that a lot of veterans who are new to the team stand in I think we saw Gerald Henderson stand in it somewhat last year in terms of sometimes you'll come in and a malaise is affecting the entire team and it's just somewhere it might be in the culture it might be in their minds it might be whatever it is but this team is like in the murk and you're going dude what the heck are we doing? I mean, here, the basketball is about like six things. We all know this. I did this with my last team. I don't know what you guys are doing, but I'm going to do basketball, (laughs) okay? And I think Turner, the the effect is the same, that both of those guys came in and they just did some basic things. Mixed results, granted, but at least it was different. It was back to Basic decent basketball as opposed to trailblazers basketball as it's been played this year. And I think that's an important reminder. Now here's the thing though. Can you keep Harkless and can you keep Aminu on the bench? Now Harkless, a little bit of an injury and what have you, maybe there's an excuse for that. But as the season goes on, I don't think those guys are going to be content not starting, especially not starting for a not winning team. So you, you know, I think at some point you have to make the move back. But what you probably hope is that now Vonley and Turner have that confidence coming off the bench and bring the same thing, whereas maybe they weren't before because they weren't sure of their place or whether they'd actually play. And then you have Harkless and Aminu seeing them and now ready to go get it when they get back in the starting lineup to keep their spots.
0: Yeah. With Harkless, I think I worry a little bit. We saw some of this last year where not that he sulks, but he kind of checks out a little bit when he's not a starter. When he's a starter, he's engaged. Uh, he's still a young guy. He's still a young guy. I mean, he's he's 23 years old. So toying with him in the lineup is a lot like toying with Noah Vonley in their position in that they're still not fragile but they're susceptible to the emotions that come with it. These aren't 10-year NBA vets that go, okay, I understand. I don't like it, but this is how it's going to be. These are guys that are still playing for their NBA livelihoods. So I think it could present a problem if this team does take a little bit of a downward trend and Harkless isn't seeing the, the minutes that he was seeing before and instead is seeing a younger player that, that, that with that potential tag getting minutes he thinks he may or may not deserve. Um, same with even with Evan Turner in that position. So I, I think it's a really, really trificult, trificult, difficult uh, minefield for Terry Stotts to kind of walk through.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the other side of the coin. If it goes bad, it could go fatally bad because it's not like there's a lot to cling on to right now. So some of these guys, you know, may be able to check out to just say, this is crap. And the season is crap. Now I don't believe that that's their intent, but at some point when things are not going well and you're not getting the minutes or the due you feel you deserve, a little bit of that is involunt- involuntary. Now I'll put you on the spot. We pay- we pre- painted the best case scenario. We painted the worst case scenario. Which one of you, those things do you think is more likely to happen?
0: The worst case. I mean, I've kind of been on that that bus since July. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just one of those things where I don't think you can catch lightning in a bottle again I, I, and for this team and for the long term I think it's better that they bottom out so and I know it's easy to say that from my perspective <laughs> how that translates into the relationships with the players with the coaches with the, the office the front office personnel and how that whole I mean how you if things do go sideways, I, I, as much as I want to be a fly on the wall when that conversation takes place with Neil Lushay and Damian Lillard, I don't know if I necessarily want to be there for that conversation.
1: You don't want to be anywhere near the building, anywhere near the locker room, anywhere. They just need to shut the doors, <laughs> kick all the cameras out, and yeah, uh, that there will be rumbles when that goes down. and And the chances of everybody exiting that locker room together and happy... Uh, I mean, Slim Olshay and none. Lillard is one thing, but like, okay, basically you invested luxury tax money in this team because it was so great together. The chances of them exiting all on the same page at Heck any on given the same point, team. <laughs> yeah, let alone the end of the year, yeah, almost nil. Uh, but before we move on, now we're talking about the rest of the season. We we would be remiss in not bringing up your boy, <laughs> Mister Myers Leonard. Playing like a beast uh against Boston. And already, you know, I've heard people say, because we've had a couple days to think about this win now and, and his performance, this isn't like other Myers-Leonard outbursts. This was different somehow. And uh, you know, he had 17 points, a couple of nasty dunks, hit four or four three pointers. I mean, the guy, there was very little to complain about given his background and performance. Do you think at least Myers Leonard has a chance of having turned the corner?
0: I have this big, giant smile that I need to wipe off my face a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm sitting here reminiscing at the Boston game and how fantastic
1: it was. You well, we should reminisce about this summer. If you weren't with us this summer, by the way, you missed a lot of knowledge being dropped on you, uh, a fairly accurate prediction of how things were going to go down. But in any case, when, <laughs> when people were complaining about that, uh, Dan spent most of his summer talking about Myers-Leonard and his potential, how this was his year. It did not quite turn out that way, although I mostly agreed that it, well, could have been. Uh, uh, but in Boston, it was. So anyway, go ahead, Dan. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but.
0: No, Myers Legend was in full effect. And I, I, the, a lot of the local beat writers, uh, Dane Carbaugh, who's, who's part of Blazer's Edge. We're, we're all firm members and we all, or those of us that are out there claim to be president of the Myers Leonard club. Um, first of all, I would like to tell Dane that it is mine. It is my throne and mine alone. I do not share. I do not abdicate. Um, With that in mind, I was jumping off my couch and thumping my chest right along and lockstep with Myers-Leonard. Myers-Leonard, when he has the right mindset, is more than just a capable NBA big. And by that, I mean not just the dunks and the threes. It's the combination of size, athleticism, and emotion. When he threw that first dunk down, Everyone in Boston was ooing and aahing. You could feel it. It felt like the night before when Joel Embiid dunked on the entire Blazers roster. There is something to be said about the mentality of the dunk. And I've said this a million times. And when he has that kind of aggression, it, it transcends the whole team. It, it goes everywhere. You can see Lillard getting fired up. You can see McCollum getting fired. Everyone is there with him. They want him to succeed. I think just like fans, and not just because of their own self-awareness and being a part of the team and wanting the team to succeed, they individually want Myers to succeed because of the talent that he possesses. And the way he was playing, That was that's peak Myers right there dunking on everybody going in for the second dunk which was glorious shooting without hesitation and canning it although we had that one three it spun around 37 times before it rolled in but it was still buckets but when you get that kind of contribution from him not just the box score but that mentality the way he he only ended up with four rebounds but it felt like he was controlling the paint Because of how big and how dynamic he can be and how much space he can eat up. It's a more athletic Robin Lopez with his build. And that kind of space eating and that kind of emotion, all this comes together, it can really lift this team. And what's crazy is the Blazers aren't in that game without Myers Leonard. Because during that point in time, it was still kind of wishy-washy which way the Blazers were going. And then he the two hammers and then consistent three-point marksmanship Kind of steadied them. Now his plus minus, I think, was one of the worst of the team, but he, to me, was
1: was the key to the victory that night. If you use plus minus on a single game, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm looking up legend here, and there have actually been two incarnations of you say Myers legend. There's the uh, 1985 legend, which was kind of a Princess Bride rip off, even <laughs> though it was uh, it was actually produced two years before Princess Bride. But uh, there was a 1985 legend, which was the movie Princess Bride wanted to be. And then there's a some 2015 gangster in... in um, a gangster version that was, uh, you know, considered a little bit better, I think, by most people. <laughs> so which Myers legend is it going to be? Is it going to be the terrible fantasy that lets you down? Or is it going to be the tough gangster Myers who uh, who <laughs> brings it to everybody and dominates?
0: Those of us that are out there that, that firmly believe in Myers all agree, I think, on one thing. Giving him the confidence and the playing time. The thing about Leonard is, is the inconsistency of minutes that he gets. And that may or may not be of his own doing. And if given the time, now they're going to play the Lakers who feature Timothy Timothy Mozgov. If you're going to have Myers play off of that game, he can't get a DMP or six, seven minutes. You got to give him 20 minutes you you got to give him the opportunity to back that effort up. If you're just going to use him like a relief pitcher, lefty on lefty, it, it, it's just not going to work.
1: Uh, so we're blaming Stotts for Myers Leonard now? Is that, are we ready to go there? I, I,
0: not to a full extent, but I think he does bear some of the, of, of the criticism in that aspect. It, I'm still firmly putting it on Myers, but at the same time, how many games does Noah Vonley get last year? before they finally pull a plug on him. And I know Myers had shoulder surgery, so he wasn't able to be in that. And then I think that kind of figures into this year. Myers started off very, very slow, but every single month of this season, he shot better and better from three. David McKay put a stat up. He started off at 20% in October. He's up to 40% from three in January. I think he's getting healthy. I think he's getting his shoulder right, and I think he's getting his mind right. But we've been at these points before. And it's upon Myers now... To make it happen, but he has to be given the opportunity to let that moment come to him.
1: At right, IHOP, we've got some waffling going on here. Well, we'll see how it develops. <laughs> Sounds good. I hate waffles. What? How can you hate waffles? No, we don't want to turn this into that other podcast where they just talk about restaurants and food. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, but but tell me, you got to tell me at least. How do you hate oh. waffles? Okay, I'm not how, a breakfast food guy. How is it guy. possible I, to I, hate waffles?
0: My only my only breakfast foods are eggs, bacon and hash browns. That those are the only things that I eat for bacon, for breakfast.
1: Those those are decent, but you got to have pancakes. I, I, I don't I wa- don't go for you the bready stuff. Hate no, no French toast, no waffles. That's like no hating pancakes. Brandon Roy. It's just no, not oh, done. No.
0: Brandon Roy <laughs> is my bacon.
1: Okay. It's, it's, Brandon Roy is my bacon. It's a dude, waffles are okay, and they have the little things to hold the syrup, so you get like syrup and butter with every bite. It's just, okay, you and I cannot talk anymore. Let's change the subject.
0: Here, here, here's this. Even I don't even like syrup.
1: Oh, oh God! Get yeah. off my show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Next uh, week, On we some, onto some lighter reading here or some lighter listening. Uh, oh, if, if you're looking at this team. And Portland, you're talking sorry. about giving Myers Leonard significant run, Noah Vonley significant run. Are you changing the prism? And I guess we're, we're speaking more for Portland fans in general here of which you view this team. Is this season functionally over?
1: Yeah. You better ask me. Cause I don't take analysis from a guy who doesn't <laughs> like syrup. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, depends Vonley. Perhaps. And I I don't want to insult him at all. He's just more Vonley. You know, you're going to get a lot more developmental stuff. I think Myers, for all he's been up and down, has more game, has more knowledge, has more functionality. And so I could see putting Myers in the lineup for significant minutes, whether he's a starter or not, and not really waving the white flag and making this a developmental season. I think if you see Vonley out there a lot, that's an indication that it could be... First of all, I think the, the, that he's out there is a little bit desperation. Uh, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying he hasn't earned it. I bet he has earned it, and that's why the avenue was open. But this is a little bit like ducking through a side alley that you know runs to bad territory, but you see what's ahead of you is on the main street is worse, so you're going to try it. Um I don't see Von Leggett in major minutes without this season being basically done. But then the problem is, who else do you put out there and how many quote-unquote veterans, not that the Blazers have anything really, but how many guys with more experience – do you bench in order to develop people? And I, I don't think you can sell that to that locker room, period. I don't think you can sell that to the stars. I don't think you can sell that to anybody you just paid on, on four-year contracts for you. You better hope that you can trade those guys en masse if you do that.
0: When, I'm, when I look at this team, if you're going to talk about getting these guys minutes, the only two guys that matter outside of the core are Noah Vonley and Myers Leonard. Those are the only guys that you see significant upside in and enough youth and enough salary flexibility. But obviously, Vonley on, on a rookie deal and Myers is on basically a, a slightly more expensive MLE to see what more you can get out of these guys. Because the, the book has yet to be written on these guys completely. Myers is heading more towards journeyman NBA big than being a starter or, or first big off the bench. So I think you need to decide which one he's going to, or which of those three paths he's going to take. And with Noel Vonley, he's still incredibly young and raw. And if you're talking about somebody that could still grow a bit and, and be a successful NBA player, and he's the guy, Right.
1: Yeah, but if he's that young, if he if he's that raw, I mean, your oven's not working. I mean, yes, I get that it takes a while to develop. I get he hasn't had a ton of playing time, although, by the way, he got a bunch last season. He got to start for a long time. I, I, if you look in that oven and it's still, like, bloody rare, you need to check temperature on that thing and make sure it's plugged in. And that's a little bit how I feel about Vonley. It's like I I, I, I admire his contributions when he goes good. I, I, my jaw drops at certain plays he's able to make but overall that that steak isn't even brown yet on the outside so yeah I some, some, at some point I have to say well, I wonder if this is just a cut of meat here.
0: See this is where you're killing me man. You, you're going after me for waffles and pancakes and you're talking about cooking a steak in an oven.
1: Prime rib <sighs> baby. Uh, I know, well, yeah, well, you should fry it first, but what are the Blazers doing? Cast iron pan, about two minutes, two and a half on each side, stick that thing in the oven, should be, but the Blazers aren't developing people like that. I mean, you're saying Meyer's kind of soggy noodles here, trying to be a main dish, and <laughs> Vonley's rare. So you, Neither, you get,
0: we need to go less easy bake oven go, and more, you know, actual household oven.
1: You, you, gotta so, go Shab- you gotta go Shabazz for the cause, baby. It's like, you gotta make sure he's not the next Tim Frazier. He'll be the syrup. He'll be be, he'll be the sweet guy in the backcourt try uh, that out kim maybe Friedrich. that'll work oh,
0: I mean, uh, we, we want to sit here and talk about how
1: put the steak knife in and twist it uh, yeah kim I'll, I'll you changed. want me to talk about patty mills too yeah, <laughs> we yeah, talk yeah. about patty mills yeah, yeah. too oh geez all right <laughs> let's, let's things, move on uh, you things. asked if the season was functionally over depends on what you mean by over. I don't think the Blazers can go developmental now is what I was trying to say. That's that's, that's not going to happen. I, I don't think they can until they're obviously in the last 20 games, maybe the last 10 games, and it's just not happening. And that would require them to be out of a playoff seating spot, by the way, which I don't think is going to happen. As you say, the bar for that's going to be pretty low. They're going to be in contention till the end, no matter what happens. So I, I, I just don't see them going developmental period uh, this season. Is it functionally over? Yes. In terms of them being anything meaningful. All right. The dreams that you had that they were going to challenge for an upper echelon playoff seat are obviously gone. The dreams that it would mean anything if they upset their way to the second round, like they did last year are gone. The dreams that they're significant, in any way in this incarnation, are done. So in that sense, the season is over. Do they still have something to play for and something to prove? Yes. Should they still be getting every win possible? Yes, because that is important for all the guys that you're going to keep. And that is important, by the way, because you're spending $112 million and going up for this roster, and you cannot tank a season paying that. That's a disaster. The only thing I can compare that for with is having four fifths of your starting lineup leave in one off season, and we already did that you can't pile a disaster another huge disaster on top of that so no to me the season is not over in terms of trying to earn wins but it's over in terms of dreaming or anything special what about you
0: it's over I I, I think that it's easier for me to say that because as you said we, we've talked about how at least how you and I viewed this coming into the season so for, for me it, In particular, it wasn't that hard of a pill for me to swallow when they struggled that mightily coming out of the gate. Now, the fact that it hit that hard, particularly on the defensive end, that fast was a bit surprising. Beyond that, their record isn't that far off from what I expected. So, yeah, it it, it is what it is. and I I never thought it was going to amount to that much to begin with. So, is it fundamentally over? Yeah it's over but as far as my expectations are and i think i'm in the minority here and i know a lot of other guys have written about this in that what you just c- kind of said in, in how the salary cap committed you can't tank because ultimately this ends up costing somebody their job in situations like this in
1: well, it's gonna, it could cost a bunch of people their jobs yeah. and who'd have thought they'd say that at the beginning of this season? Uh,
0: in less than the, in what six months I mean, yeah. that's, that's that's basically what we're talking about as we get to the All Star break, and for me, I, I know it's easy for me to say it, but I'm already in tank mode. Oh, I mean, boy. I'm 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 already gearing that thing down and driving it out of the garage.
1: Yeah, it never never happen. Never should happen, I think. But but yeah, I I get it. I get it. I mean, I think we can have a debate, and maybe we will if we got time about. I hate to bring this up and to bring it up in January, no less, whether at this point a pick or playoff seat is better. uh, Why do we have to ask this again? (laughs) It's like that 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 shows you the place that the Blazers are. But no, there's tanking is way far away from their vocabulary. I'll tell you what isn't, though, and what should have been. I've said it before. It's a thing that shocks me. The Blazers were just careening down a hill at about 100 miles an hour, clipped all kinds of guardrails last year, made it to the bottom, not only made it to the bottom, but did it fairly successfully, kept the car intact, and had a fairly decent time doing it, surviving by the skin of their teeth. I get that. I get that it was fun. That was legit. To take that car back up to the top of the hill...
0: (laughs) And, and to do, do the same over thing again.
1: over again with every guardrail, what do you think is going to happen? You survived by the skinnier teeth. That's the that's the thing that that just shocks me. And so I think, even though we say in six months it's transformed, for me it hasn't really transformed because this we were we were calling out every guardrail. I mean, maybe some people accuse us of being like the, the, the grandmas in the backseat. Slow down, you <laughs> know. we're going to die. But look, that was real. And now here we go again, and now we're over the guardrail, down the cliff. Big surprise. So it's not a six-month thing. It's just shocking how dramatic it might be now we got a mailbag question from from zach here want to answer a couple mailbag questions before we go um and he actually suggests is it we've talked about is it time to trade one of the starting guards before let's not go into that again but the reason zach's question was significant is he said look would you be willing to consider damian lillard for jimmy butler and we can talk about the merits of that specifically real quick but the bigger question here is 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 the bar for a major, major trade now going down. At the beginning of the season, zero people, I think other than speculatively would have considered trading Damian Lillard. We had to hold on to a round table that we were talking about because we knew people would explode if we even published it. Conce- you know, questioning if they only knew how long theory. that they existed for. That was like a nine <laughs> months that we held on to that. And then they still kind of exploded when we published it. But then, you know, then I think everybody came with, to a piece with, well, maybe Lillard for Cousins might be possible. Still not likely, still not desirable. Desirable, but it's okay to talk about. Now we've got our first thing. Well, how about Lillard for someone else? Lillard for a non-center? Lillard for a wing who can actually defend and can score too? My question is that bar going down that there for a major trade that it, it, it not only might happen but should happen?
0: I think on the peripheral of the Damian Lillard ascension to superstardom. There are a few people that have taken a step back. I've heard that some of the narratives of, can we stop calling Damian Lillard clutch? He's only shooting 35% in clutch situations, according to NBA.com.
1: Sure, but what do you want? But anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah, it's, it's entire teams are set up to stop what is effectively... You talk to anyone in the NBA, we're talking executives, players, who are the most clutch players in the NBA. I mean... You, you can see it in the all-star voting returns among the players yes there were some absolutely crazy numbers in there and guys voting for themselves but when you look at the at the West
1: and by the way that's sorry to interrupt you but did, yeah. who didn't think about this beforehand who did I mean you have you kid can coaches can't vote for their own guys who did not think think that this was going to become a parade of ridiculousness. Yeah, I think I, I think
0: saw Deon Watt yeah, in there.
1: I, so. I don't understand. I don't know how Harambe didn't get at least four all-star <laughs> votes because that you know it was going to head that way. But oh, anyway, yeah. go ahead. But I mean, uh, sorry.
0: you can see the respect in there, though. I mean, yeah. when when you see Lillard and McCullum both finishing up there in the very top with Westbrook, Curry, and uh, Harden, I mean, those that's, that's your top five among the players. Right. So yeah, Lillard's clutch. McCollum is clutch. These guys get it done. And I mean, we've talked about it before and the numbers that these guys are putting up. I think that some people though are taking a step back. And because of the team's lack of success, some of what Lillard has done and meant to the franchise is being discounted where in the past, it may have been overvalued. And, I think it's closer to somewhere more towards on the overvalued side is where people should be with him because of what he's meant to this team and the things that he's done. And yeah, everybody points to the Houston shot and and other big-time games and pointing to the wrist. But the evaluation or the self-evaluation process as a fan and what is or isn't acceptable to trade, the only time I think you can say that, no, I'm not going to trade is if you've got LeBron. KD Kawhi or one of these superstar talent laden youngsters like Kat or Porzingis AD or Okafor I mean the the list is 10 and, and Embiid even, Embiid and, and, yeah M, I'm sorry I said Okafor good god <laughs> yeah I know
1: thank you yeah so yeah you I was wondering about Okafor like so much no, have I got mean, an Okafor fetish please, going on please please no
0: no Embiid for love of god <laughs> Embiid oh, okay Just making um, sure. it's been a long day um <laughs> <laughs> but I mean those are the only guys you do not entertain offers for. Everybody else is fair game. We've seen these guys traded before. It doesn't happen often, but it can happen.
1: Um So is the bar going First of all, is the bar going down though?
0: Yes, the bar is going down. So let me go ahead and get okay. off my rant there for a second. The That's all right. Second down. of all,
1: would you would you consider Jimmy Butler an equitable trade for Damian Lillard given the makeup of the team and the situation of the team, not just individual talent.
0: Yes. And it would make sense for both teams.
1: All right. I will answer the question for Zach. Did they, Neil Olshay does that is never. Yeah. Uh, So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Olshay would, trade Lillard for, uh, I think he'd think hard about trading Lillard for Embiid. I mean, I, I think probably he'd probably go, oh, injury. Nope. <laughs> so I, I think Olshay and Lillard and probably Olshay, Lillard and McCollum are married for as long as Olshay is, is GM, president of whatever he is. That's a, that's so, a, that's a
0: fair yeah. assumption to make.
1: Yeah, so, so it won't happen, but it's good. Thanks for your question. We like that because I, I too, believe that people are starting to realize that, that the, the major trade might be the only way out of this, and the bar is going down as far as target. Now, can't get beer goggles on, can't get so desperate that you start making yeah crazy moves, but it, it, it's out there. Um, Speaking of
0: moves and mailbags, though, we've got a meal from the Philippines. And Mm -hmm. while we've discussed Hassan Whiteside and Miles Turner and some of these bigger names and what it would take to acquire those guys, and even you've touched on some of the value guys like Nurkic, but there's other guys out there, Baby Noguera, John Henson, and Emil's wondering, wouldn't guys like that be more cost-effective solutions and realistic trade targets based on their salary, their age, and the fit with their current teams?
1: Well, I mean... Yeah, kind of uh, answered his own question. Yeah, would they be more cost effective? Oh, yeah, they'd be more cost effective because <laughs> they're they're not as good. They're cheaper, right? So, yes, um, I talked about Nurkic in yesterday's mailbag. And a lot of teams, a lot of people are, no, I shouldn't say teams, uh, strike that. A lot of fans are hot after him. And, of course, uh, ESPN's Mark Stein came out with an article that said Denver is almost certain to move him i think that's optimistic because he's on a rookie contract he costs nothing and it's really hard to get value for that uh, for the blazers like for instance look at alan crabb okay their scoring is kind of comparable you can say maybe denver would like a shooting guard who has good offense you know in, in, rather than a backup center who's discontented i get it but literally uh, nurkic makes two million dollars Crabb makes six times that much. I mean, you, next three years, Crabb's going to make 6.25 times as much as Nurkic is. The, the upshot to that is, yes, Denver's below the salary cap floor right now and can certainly absorb that, but that's money that you can't get back. For the duration of Crab's contract, so you got to look at future investment too. And there's no way those two are equitable. Would you rather have Nurkic at costing nothing or Crab at what might be a market fair contract? But it's at the upper end of market fair, and it just in real dollars, it's a lot more. I don't think they can make that deal, and I don't think the Blazers can trade in the kind of pick that they need in order to make that. I think someone else will probably step forward. So I, I don't think this is where the Blazers are right now. This is how sad it is. I don't think they can get Nurkic.
0: It, Nurkic to me is the exact kind of deal the Blazers should be trying to pursue, but without mortgaging any of their big time assets. Whatever you want to, however you want to scheme big time assets. Uh, what may be big time to a Portland fan probably isn't big time to really any of the executives in the NBA, save Lillard or McCollum. So with that in mind, yeah, if you could move Crab straight for Nurkic.
1: Oh, you do that all day. You all do that day. all day.
0: Not just because of it fits a need in 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 Big Man, you know, in mm-hmm. roster balance, but Portland is in dire need of salary cap relief, uh, not just necessarily just for cap relief and, and making things happen, but the flexibility and the need for NBA teams to capitalize on guys on value deals. You need a group of guys on your on your roster unless you are a superstar laden team like Cleveland or Golden State who are outperforming their current salary structure. Heck, even Golden State has those guys. Draymond Green is on a relatively inexpensive contract for what the contributions he's giving. Steph Curry has been on a very cheap contract. So these everybody wants to talk about these these superstar teams, but the stars kind of align for this stuff to happen. That's how KD was able to finagle his way to Golden State. Portland needs to have that kind of flexibility and have young guys that are on these contracts that allow the Blazers to be more flexible going forward. I mean, if you got this deal, you're basically getting $15 million in cap space back.
1: Now, yeah, it may I not mean-
0: work out necessarily that way with the CBA, but that's where you're, the, the angle that you're coming from.
1: Right. Well, and the Blazers won't be able to use it, but at least they'll be away from the luxury tax. Uh, I mean— Look, what are they going to do if they need to re-sign one player? (laughs) I mean, and and they've got one, by the way, still dangling out there. If you want I mean, you're going to be taxed to the moon. And and it really does. It ends up restricting the trades you can make, too, because you can't take on, even if the the CBA allows it, you can't take on more salary and go deeper into tax. You're going to be paying a prohibitive amount. So, yeah, for the Blazers, that would make a lot of sense. I don't see it making sense for the Nuggets. I just think that contract is too valid. Valuable right now, and the guy is too serviceable, even if he's not ideal. They've got to find something that's, that's more production for him than the Blazers can give. And while, so, well, so Crab ahead.
0: gives them something that they need, but is mm-hmm. it enough for them to get one and a half, two wins that Crab's probably going to give you in the immediate future to make that move? I mean, over the length of his career, how many more wins is Crab going to give you versus? a player that you may be able to bring in on a max or near max deal that you may or may not be able to facilitate if you do make this move.
1: Yeah. Now the, uh, the story is kind of the same for baby. Although I think the, uh, I, I believe that the, uh, the issue is less because I think he's probably a less talented player uh, right now, or at least less productive player. So, Probably you could sneak in there. Uh, although I'm not sure about Toronto's uh, cap situation offhand. And when I look it up, a video blares in my ear all the time. It auto plays, so I'm not going to do it right now. But uh, look, it, it, can you do something like that? Y- you have to believe to keep yourself from going insane that the Blazers could make a move like Bebe or Henson. The question is, Will that be enough? And what are you making that move for? They're young players, yes. But do either of them have real star potential? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, baby. I don't know. Maybe, baby, whatever. But... uh, you have to make a move right now. I, don't, I think the Blazers are past the line of making a move to try to incrementally get better this season. I think that's done. They, if they make a move or when they make a move, they need to do it in order to bolster themselves for the next few years with something that's either guaranteed to provide more wins or at least provides a lot of potential. And I don't see that small move as doing either.
0: No, the small moves, you're, you're essentially you're moving the, the pieces around the chessboard you you're setting yourself up for the future again. And I don't see that as, as a bad thing from, from where I sit in that making yourself more flexible, restocking the cupboard, so to speak, gives you that flexibility. And well, yeah. that's the way that's, that I want to see them go. Reality is, is not going I don't think it's going to go down that road.
1: It's the one way it works is if they can do m- multiple deals like that and they get themselves back under the cap by a significant amount. Mm-hmm. Going to be difficult, but they might be able to do it by throwing out on a lot of veterans at teams that can accept salary. But the thing is, if other teams are accepting a lot of salary for your mediocre players, the players you're going to get back are not going to be real significant. That's the price you pay, right? So basically, the other team is thinking, spending a lot of money on a couple of mediocre wing players that aren't really performing that well in Portland, aren't performing well enough for Portland to keep, we'd rather have those two players and spend a lot more money than have this guy on a rookie contract. That tells you a little bit about that guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, for the trade to be equitable, there's going to be give and take. And, And the old saying in the NBA and across other sports, if both teams are unhappy, then the trade worked
1: right and i think <laughs> but both teams might be unhappy for the wrong reasons yeah. in those i mean as they say in wrestling that would be bad heat and and by the way the blazers would get bad heat i think internally too uh because even if olshay was building up flexibility again Again, his entire relationship, yeah, that's it. Starting guards. I mean, what are you doing to us? I mean, yeah, we got three or four years left our contract, but we expected to win in those three or four years. We wanted to be doing something, making a mark, not restarting. And by the way, here's the problem with going with young guys, too, or even going for draft picks. Let's say Blazer dreams blazer fan dreams came true and they could unload some of these veterans for draft picks and make a mark in the draft, which Olshay has been pretty good at how long, how long do you wait? I mean, uh, players reach their prime really about in about five years. Okay. That's, I mean, I know there's production before that. I know players are good before that, but when you, by the time you get it together mentally, emotionally, physically you are ready to win that's usually about your fifth yeah, season
0: 28 is is considered peak for for, for professional athletes that's yeah, when I think, your mental aptitude at max coincides with the maximum ability that you're going to get from yourself physically
1: right and i i know stats stats probably peak before then but we're talking about the entire we're talking about winning now not just mm-hmm. producing and so y- 25 right that's what that's the at least the opening of that Uh, how long i mean first of all anyone you draft now isn't going to be 25 by the time lillard McCollum's contracts expire uh second of all well i guess if you drafted college seniors but second of all lillard McCollum are not going to wait all right that's that's you're playing free agency
0: roulette you're, you're, if you're doing this, you're getting young pieces, you're freeing up salary cap to where you can pair in another ready made veteran to step in and be that third guy and rely on enough production from a group of young guys. Wow, this sounds vaguely familiar,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. Didn't work out real well last time when, when so, you went into free agency unguarded, yeah. So, yeah, I, and really. OK, so you turn to Lillian McCollum and say, hey, we got John Henson. What do you think about that? That move your needle? And they're going to go, I hope this guy can play. And every time that he does it, and by the way, I like Henson. I think he'd be a good get. I, I just don't think that he'd do enough. And I think that it would be, it would be a salary move, either him or Baby or Nurkic, right? I think Nurkic would, be, would do a little bit more. But you can you would be able to see the eyes roll. Every time these guys weren't ready, every time they couldn't pick up the load that the Blazers really needed them to pick up. And at a certain point, that frustration builds. And at a certain point, you just start to go into business for yourself. Where you say, OK, we are going nowhere. I'm going to score 30. I'm going to be the all-star. And we're going to bide time. And let me look around and see what my options are when my contract runs out.
0: Yeah, and that's how you get in a place like the Sacramento Kings.
1: Oh Lord! Oh, you do you oh you invoke Sacramento. It's first, it's I hate syrup, and second, the Blazers and Sacramento Kings are equated. We better stop right see, there for this, this, oh, this.
0: Okay, let's just let's go ahead and take a quick flashback here. When I when I've said that this team after this free agency period looked a lot like the Phoenix Suns, and that every ah that's a hot take. That's a hot take. That's a hot take. Well. I bet you if you pull those articles from two years ago and you replace Phoenix Suns with Portland Trailblazers, that narrative from those articles rings pretty
1: darn true. Oh, you are melting earbuds <laughs> right now. They're just dripping. People are cursing you like, ah, oh, my earlobes. To it. <laughs> this is plastic. But uh, you're not incorrect on that. Uh, Sacramento, okay, God forbid the Blazers should ever get there. And I don't think they will because, There's you not know, enough dysfunction it, it, here. Yeah, yeah, Lillard Lillard and McCollum are m- not in the same universe with Boogie Cousins as far as dysfunctionality. So, yes, as long as Lillard and McCollum are here, you're going to have a core that is sane and you're going to have a core that's productive and that's going to keep your franchise if not respectable at least afloat. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, there is the potential for the Blazers to be managed into oblivion, and I think that they're on the cliff right now. If not sliding over, and this this isn't if this isn't rectified, the conversations we're going to be having three seasons from now are not going to be pretty at all. I mean, it's now, it's, it's, it's safe yeah. to
0: say right now that this the next two months could end up being make or break for Neil O'Shea's tenure. Correct.
1: Oh, you know what? Let us bring that up next time. That's uh, that's a whole other topic. Probably probably one we shouldn't tag on the end because it's first of all it's either ten minutes or nothing. Second of all, it's going to get us in trouble more. <laughs> so let's while people freeze up their earbuds, get them back into shape, and get them back in the ear. Let's let's uh, bid you goodbye for now. We'll come back next week and we'll talk about that Olshay thing. Hopefully, we'll talk about at least oh gosh, well one more. Portland now eh, let's say two more they, they, they could they beat the Lakers and well, the Grizzlies uh, at home at two wins
0: on this one hey let's end on a brighter note and remind everybody yes. we got Blazers Edge night coming up on March 9th Dave
1: that's exactly it and by the way uh, as you've seen on the site this morning there is do or die time we really need uh, help with that uh, we've got tickets left available to donate it's really easy go to BlazersEdge.com look for the site or the post that says right there to donate tickets Uh, click on it click through the link you can buy with your credit card just like you were purchasing from the blazers but when you click through our link with our our code those tickets are donated to kids in need Uh, it is simple it is easy and uh, we really need your help to do that we're a little behind this year uh, so it's time to to kind of put up and make sure those kids can go Uh, we hope you will do that because it's a wonderful time
0: couldn't say better myself
1: all right, you want to take us out, Dan?
0: For Dave Deckard, I'm Dan Morang. This is the Blazers Edge podcast. Blazers Edge podcast. Wow. No, he didn't
1: want to take us out. Oh, you know, why man, that I is? don't want to take there is, us out. There is lack of syrup in your brain, baby. That uh, sugar makes it function. For Dan Morang, I am Dave Deckard. We will see you next week, and that's how it's done, Waffle Boy. Bacon
0: grease.